Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic has put more of a focus on the importance of Canadian farmers, farm workers and food production. Many of those conversations have been playing out on Twitter. Michelle Austin with Twitter Canada will tell us about some of the trending topics like the pandemic and mental health, and we'll run through the top hashtags and ag Twitter accounts, and the role that social media is playing in sharing agriculture stories with the non-farming public. Well, there are very different versions of what a farm should look like. As we continue our series, Not Your Everyday Farmer, we will feature a very different type of farming operation that decided to take a chance on a little blueberry. Hascap not only does well in the harsh northeast Saskatchewan climate, but has also proven to be one of the healthiest fruits on the planet. Mark Sullivan with Sweet Prairie Hascap explains how they directed their attention towards the health food market and instead of just shipping the berries to the United States, they decided to take the big step into value-added processing. Mark will talk about that journey, which includes shipping their first load of Hascap products to the United States. After the break, Michelle Austin. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Michelle Austin is the head of policy for Twitter Canada. And we're talking about agriculture, agri-food and Twitter and how they intertwine. And I want to start, Michelle, with COVID-19. The pandemic really showed how important agriculture is to the country. So what role has Twitter played in focusing attention on ag? Well, it's not new for farmers and ranchers and people in the agriculture industry to share daily updates about their community on Twitter. But what might be surprising is that the hashtag AgTwitter, which is one way that you can track the community in a conversation, have grown 12, has grown 12% in 2020 compared to mentions at the same time. So that's January to August in 2019. And we think that's largely due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, I mean, we've all been displaced by COVID-19. We're all trying to connect in different ways because of the pandemic. And what we're finding is that the agricultural community is loving social media and especially Twitter. Twitter has been used um, to launch a lot of campaigns. And I think in particular about mental health and the Do More Ag Foundation that's just recently been created. I think it all started with the tweet from Kim Keller. So what other areas could Twitter be used more to help farmers? Well, we're certainly um, really impressed by the mental health discussion by farmers on Twitter. And that is not unique in that Twitter is a place where people come to be their real self. Um, you know, we often say at Instagram, you're your perfect self and on Twitter, you're your real self. For example, you you tell people what's where you're struggling or, or how things are good or how things are bad or what you think. So, you know, what we're seeing with things like mental health is something that we call narrow casting where people have a very specific issue that they want to talk about or have had an experience that they want to talk about and they come to Twitter first to have that conversation because it's rough and it's raw or it's weird or it's funny and that's where they get their first reaction. So it's mental health, it's finances, it's law and certainly for farmers in Canada, it's a lot of politics as well. 
So I think that it's, it's mental health seems to be a very big theme with the ag Twitter community, but I think just to say it's mental health would be um, not doing it a, its proper justice. Environment and stewardship and conservation is another huge theme that we see in the conversations in Canada about ag Twitter. So I think that what people are figuring out is that you don't just have to be agricultural when you're on Twitter. You have many more interests and things that you're concerned about that you can put together and tweet about. In your role with Twitter Canada, are there any things in particular that you would like to see more action on? Here's your opportunity. I'm giving you the opportunity <laughs> to share that. <laughs> well, you know, if I had to give uh, the agriculture community two, twip, two tips about Twitter, um, the first would be to tell us a little bit more about yourself in your bio. Um, I realize that traditionally farmers are very to the point. Listen, I got to get out to the field or to the barn. So here's my tweet for this morning. I'll see you in eight hours. But if you can't, you know, and that's totally fine, but put a little more in your bio about who you are, where you are, what you do and what your interests are. So that gives people, if they can't engage with you right away because you're busy, um, an idea about sort of who about who they're talking to. And speaking of talking to, what I would love for farmers to do, and I realize time is a problem, is to engage in that conversation a little bit more. So if somebody takes the time to comment or reply or retweet you, the most simple thing you can do to appreciate them is to just, you know, hit that little heart button and like it. But what really makes Twitter Twitter is to have a full conversation too. So to take that time to reply to their questions, like, oh my gosh, what, what are you doing? You know, that's oftentimes when people discover farming on Twitter, they really do discover it. They don't understand what you're doing. So, you know, you kind of have to dig deep and explain what it is from your from a patient point of view. So if I could ask farmers as we sort of head into the winter and it gets a little less busy after the harvest is done to take that extra time to to engage with the people who engage with them and tell us a little bit more about what you're doing. That would certainly increase understanding, awareness and conversation, which is what Twitter is about. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because there are some farmers, full-time farmers, that do it very well, and they're very active. And uh, I think of John Kowalczyk at Kowalczyk Farms. He's he's one in particular that I enjoy following, and and it's very real with him. And that's that's a great conversation. And I think uh, he does he does it very well. Um, I want to talk about hashtags. Um, yes. So for for those who don't understand what a hashtag is, maybe you could explain it. Oh, absolutely. And I understand sometimes it gets a little confusing, but let's see if I can break it down. Um, Hashtags were actually invented by Twitter users who wanted to find a way to find people who have the same interests that they do. And so we don't create them. Twitter doesn't create them. The users create them themselves. And so I talked about narrow casting and finding communities. So there's hashtag law Twitter. There's hashtag black Twitter. Again, we don't name it. That community names itself. And hashtag ag Twitter. And the great thing about these hashtags is that they respect no international borders, right? So when you're on Ag Twitter at late at evening, you could be seeing information coming from Australia, who's up early in the morning. 
So hashtags help you uh, find people and find your interests and help people find you. So if you're doing a tweet and you think it's like a really big, important tweet or you want to talk to your community, hashtag egg Twitter is a great one. Hashtag Canadian egg spelled C-D-N-Ag is another great one. And if you put those two hashtags together, you will get connected to a lot of the Canadian agricultural community. And you don't really have to do much more except for just add those two hashtags. Michelle, what are the top five crop hashtags? Um, well, the, the top five crop hashtags on Twitter really reflect what's going on during the harvest, right? So corn is the number one hashtag. Soybeans is number two. And it's just hashtag soybeans. Hashtag canola three, wheat is four, and grain is five. So what's wonderful about this conversation is that you know it's authentic because if you track any exports or the harvest, you know that that's exactly what's going on right now. People are harvesting those crops. Now, I did mention uh, Kowalczyk Farms, but uh, maybe you could tell us who the top 10 ag Twitter accounts belong to. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you a sort of – I don't want to – force people to the top 10 accounts, but what I'll do is I'll give them an idea about where to find this community to follow them. So you mentioned at Do More Ag at the beginning. There's a number of organizations or associations or groups that people should think about following. So what are some great examples? Do More Ag, at Calgary Stampede, always fun. Um, some media follows like at Western Producer, some associations like at Grain Growers or at Crop Life Canada. But then, of course, what makes the big difference is, to your point, following the individuals. So um, John Kowalchuk, you mentioned from Rumsey, Alberta, his handle is at Kowalchuk Farms. Um, Kim Keller, you also mentioned, who started Do More Eggs. She's at Kim Keller. She's in Saskatchewan. And I will say, um, shout out to Saskatchewan. They over-index on Twitter, doing a great job out there. <laughs> um, maybe if you're wanting to diversify your feed and find other people who aren't doing necessarily what you do, um, Vanessa Durand is from Kempton, Ontario. She's at Ness Farm. Um, Chris Orham, he's at Chris Orham 11. He's from Grand Falls. Newfoundland and Lori Robinson and her handle is at spuddoc s-p-u-d-d-o-c well she does potatoes plus many other things in Prince Edward Island and I think once you sort of engage with those groups uh, those fault those accounts you will see them surface other accounts you might be interested so start with a few of those and uh, see where it takes you one farmer I put it quite well when he said he thought that using ag Twitter is kind of like preaching to the choir. How does the ag sector use Twitter to reach out to that non-farming audience? We're trying so hard to talk more and more about what farmers do, why we do it, why we love it. How can they reach out? So there's no magic way to reach out uh, you know just it's like there's no magic formula for me to say hey here's here's something you should do and it, it'll go viral 
it doesn't work that way. What does really work is to be your authentic self and tell your story. And I think that is where farmers have the advantage. So you have wonderful images that you see every day. I've seen video of people saving owlets who have run into their combine and then be attacked by owls. Like post that kind of video. Everybody wants to see these kinds of stories that happen to farmers every day that you probably take for granted. That sunset that you see. So take that time to post images and videos. Keep telling the stories about yourself in an authentic way. Um, Engage with uh, your followers as best you can. Use hashtags and don't be afraid to reach outside of the farming community to comment on other people and what they're doing. Diversify your feed. Spread out who you talk to. And I think um, this this conversation is going to continue to grow because it is just so wonderful what we see on Twitter from farmers. And I wish everybody was as, as, uh, as proud of what they do and happy to share it as farmers are. So I say to you, keep going. You know, it, it doesn't matter matter if you only get one like I'm telling you you are making a difference in terms of telling your story. Michelle Austin is the head of policy for Twitter Canada. After the break we continue our series Not Your Everyday Farmer. Mark Sullivan with Sweet Prairie Hascap talks about the journey from one little Hascap plant to the creation of natural health products that have now found their way into the United States market. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Mark Sullivan with Sweet Prairie Hascap is with us. And uh, Mark, you and your husband, Bill, are very busy. You have a small herd of purebred Angus cattle and you also run a commercial greenhouse. And then you decided to dive into the world of Hascap. So first of all, just explain what is Hascap and what is it about this fruit that appealed to you? It's funny, when we approached the university, we were looking for something northern hardy that the deer wouldn't eat. That was our two criteria. And Hascap was virtually unheard of in the fruit breeding program, but uh, they kind of threw some of this stuff at us and asked us to do some trials. And uh, we said, wow, this isn't just northern hardy. It'll withstand full bloom in April with minus 10 degrees. And it doesn't damage the fruit. It doesn't get bugs. It doesn't need to be sprayed. It's very easy to grow naturally. And it tastes phenomenal. And as we progressed, we found out how incredibly healthy it was. The kind of north of the 49, that cold climate, uh, somehow uh, creates a healthier berry than, you know, most others. So that's why Hascap. For those who aren't familiar with Hascap, could you describe it for us, uh, its, its color and texture and taste? It's called Lanocera cerulea, which is actually a, a honeysuckle in the honeysuckle family. It, uh, it doesn't get very tall. The bush itself gets about five feet tall at maturity. Uh, it's like a, a honeysuckle berry in that it's elongated, but it's very, very deep, deep purple. And the, um, it grows like a, a double berry. That's a honeysuckle thing, too. Uh, from each blossom, you know, there's two blossoms, so there's two berries. And they're um, inside, super, super colorful, kind of a red-purple, and no seeds, little tiny minutiae of seeds. 
So um, it doesn't have a tough skin. It's very melt-in-your-mouth. So the whole berry itself, although it, it's uh, a little tart, it's kind of like if you mixed a raspberry, a blueberry, and, and you know, maybe a strawberry, a rhubarb, or, you know, it, it, it's so unique, it's difficult to describe. And everybody that tastes it tastes something a little different. But bottom line, color, color, color. And um, it ripens all at the same time so we can mechanically harvest it, which is awesome because to hand pick it isn't a good deal. You're promoting the natural health benefits of Hascap, but you have to have the science behind it to back that up. What was the process to do that? Well, we worked with the um, SAS Food Development Center and we said, look, we are hearing uh, the old science from uh, where the mother plants of these come from that said, you know, it, it had um, energy properties, it has immunity properties, it has um, cardiovascular, you know, it just so many things that they were finding in the plant that we said, well, let's, let's explore that. So when we worked with the food center, we um, asked them to process it in a way that wouldn't destroy those nutraceutical properties. So we had to work with the scientists. We had to send our stuff away for testing to ensure that those properties were retained. Uh, we found out that it not only has them, but it has them in spades. Uh, it's the highest antioxidant uh, fruit in Canada, in North America. One of the one of the highest in the world. So and and that's been proven time and time again. So. It's, um, you know, what do you do with that then? So, you know, we decided to, to value add, you know, take it to the health food market. You don't need very much of it. It has a lot of polyphenols. The polyphenols actually have a, a property called quercetin. Quercetin is a, an energy booster. It's like Red Bull. <laughs> Only caffeine, no sugar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, that's kind of where we headed with it, was uh, looking at that um, kind of stuff. But the longer we're in it, the more we find. And uh, Dalhousie University out of Nova Scotia is continually doing HASCAP research on the more medicinal end of it. And it seems to be uh, the most recent research that came out said, even though you have natural sugar in this, uh, a diabetic can drink it because it almost has um, a, like um, a medicinal property that nullifies that sugar in your system. It's really, we can't stop finding good things about it. Let's talk about your products. You, you have a couple of products that are available yep. for, for purchase, but uh, tell us about that, but also very exciting because you've just concluded your first order to the United States, so that, that's a big step for you too. It is, um, you know, breaking into a health food market with an unknown. It's not another blueberry. It's not another cherry. It's not another stevia. It's the first of its kind. So there's a lot of education uh, involved in taking this to market. And uh, trust me, you know, you change your, your hat from a producer to a processor, to a product developer, you know, and then you become a marketer and you learn, 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 learn. And we found that hitting that health food market, it was, it was a tough haul. It was a tough uphill because 
um, you know how it is when when your market is looking. You don't have that long to to present. You know, you you got their attention for a short period of time. So we just hit them with the energy drink first of all, and then we start talking about the other benefits of the antioxidants and the anthocyanins and the you know polyphenols. You probably don't understand all that, but top of the line, healthiest fruit out there. That's what we say. You know. You need very little of it. So our juice is an ounce a day. You don't want to drink more than that because um, you don't need it. And uh, it's just got all that color in there. And then we took and made a powder, which you can add to uh, protein drinks. You can add it to smoothies. And it's, again, it's full of that rich color, that polyphenol that brings the health properties. I have these guys that are like uh, extreme athletes. And, and they tell me that after they shred, which means after they work out like crazy, they take this for, for, for recovery afterwards, for muscle recovery, and they love it. Just touch on this first uh, shipment to the United States. So ah. where, where did your order go? It's going to California. And uh, it's uh, uh, we sold it actually to a guy who's, who's like a, a key marketer he brought uh, stevia to market in in the United States, and he did some stuff with a product called Stir. So he's really in the the zone, and he's been kind of following us for a number of years. We just didn't have the volume to satisfy him, but he wants to be first to market in the United States with the the health juice. He said it's a hot hot market, and he's going to be um, launching. DrinkHasCap.com in the next week or two. We just put this stuff on the truck and he's got his website all ready to go and he's going to put it on Amazon and take it to market. So we're going to see some more than we can handle. We'll be taking some other HasCap producers from Saskatchewan along with us on this ride. Mark, we've heard over and over again that we should be moving more to value-added production. We have the, all this great product in uh, Saskatchewan, right across the prairies, but why are we not doing more of that component of the value-added here? For someone who's been through this whole process, what do people need if they're interested in going that route? <laughs> That's a good question. You need to not be discouraged. You need to be determined that what we have here is worth the extra effort. Uh, you know, a lot of guys will offer you, and we have had many offers to go commodity. Just sell us your frozen fruit, you know, and and it's not worth very much. And we're saying, well, somebody's going to take it someplace else and process it and gain all that value. We need this in Saskatchewan. So, you know what? There have been amazing supports through the AgWest Bio program, through the product to market program, through the awesome program. Like, you just really got to kind of be determined that it's going to be worth it at the end of the day to process, you know, to produce, process in Canada and take your product to the world as a Canadian made product. So um, I guess my next question is, when did this process start? When did you plant your first little baby bush and uh, <laughs> start, start your process uh, 
to now? How long has this been going on? Well, let's just say we planted our first HASCAP in 2009. And um, we did our trials prior to that, but that would be when we really started moving forward. We came, you know, out of the fruit breeding experimental process and into actual production. We were one of the first people. There's some producers, big producers up by um, um, Birch Hills and and, uh, throughout Saskatchewan. There's some guys that, you know, they kind of went hard with it because they believed in it. But, um, you know, like I said, this... this, um, idea of, of the value add is, is a tough haul and, and so consequently um, you know they're waiting for that that um, opportunity to to do it ourselves and take it to market but not everybody does that so you know what my suggestion is find some guys that think like you and get them behind you whether they have money or not money's always good but get them behind you so you can take it forward together so it's all about uh, believing in your product, getting the education, and sticking with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many times I wanted to just say, oh, this is just too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, we even had people advising us, you know, why don't you just send it down there to be processed in the United States? And I'm like, absolutely not. We have companies here in, right in Saskatchewan that are going to co-process with us. Why would we lose that, you know? We they can't grow it down there. We can grow it here. So why don't we just do it right all the way to the product and, and take it that way? And we get the extra value for one. The only thing that I would say is that HASCAP is probably one of the hardest ones, as I mentioned before, because it's so unique that it probably presented a bit more challenges than you know, a gal my age should be encountering. But it also had the advantages of once it hits the the game, it's going to be that niche market that's going to just yum it up. So we we have a tagline, and it says, healthy, never tasted so good. Marg Sullivan is the owner and operator of Sweet Prairie Housecap. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for October 5th, 2020. Great weather this fall across much of the prairies, putting the crop in the bin earlier. Across Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, Agriculture Department said that harvests are well ahead of average and are wrapping up in many locations. Statistics Canada predicted yields will be at least average for most important crops, with wheat forecast to be up about 6%, and much of those grains and oil seeds will be coming off in a top grade. J.P. Gervais with Farm Credit Canada said prices for both canola and wheat are moving up and are above average. Applications are now being accepted for the Emergency On-Farm Support Fund. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said $35 million will be used to improve health and safety on farms and in employee living quarters and workstations, temporary housing on and off farm to prevent and respond to the spread of COVID-19. Program will be a 50-50 cost shared with farmers. The split will be 60-40 for applicants who are women and youth. Saskatchewan, Alberta, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Labrador, Yukon, Northwest Territories and Nunavut have signed on to the program. Canada's two main railways have had another record-setting quarter for grain shipments. 
CN Rail moved 7.76 million tons of grain in the third quarter and 2.81 million in September alone, both new records. CP also reported moving 11% more than its previous third quarter. Four seed sector organizations announced that they will go ahead with plans to become one new national organization. This summer, five organizations put the Seeds Canada amalgamation proposal to a vote for their respective memberships. Canadian Seed Growers Association members did not vote in favour and will not become part of the amalgamation. Seeds Canada will become a new entity in February of 2021 once the membership formally approves the merger. Farm Credit Canada will contribute $100,000 to school meal programs across the country as part of the corporation's annual campaign to help alleviate hunger. For the fourth consecutive year, FCC is supporting meal programs offered at 100 schools as part of the FCC Drive Away Hunger Campaign. FCC was forced to cancel the tractor food collection tours this year. And the country celebrated Canada Beer Day. Peter Watts, with the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Centre, said an estimated 149,000 jobs are supported by beer, whether it's in the brewery, transportation, hospitality or agriculture sectors. 2020 has been a very good year for malting barley production, and exports, especially to China, have been ahead of normal. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.